Hi everybody, this is Loretta from Next Sequence and you're listening to the Next Sequence podcast. More and more tech bio founders out there like myself before going from entrepreneur to investor have been trying to bring in computing technologies to biotech. In this show, I sit down with some of the most impressive founders of what we call now tech bio to learn more about their journey and inspire other founders or wannabe founders to follow in their tracks. TechBio is all about fixing the problem of the world, and the world needs more and more TechBio founders. So, listen up. Hi, welcome to this new TechBio episode by Next Sequence. We're super excited for our new uh, Venture Associate series, and we're welcoming uh, tonight. Sophia Sintaka. Hi, Sophia. How are you doing? Hi, Loretta. I'm good. Thank you for inviting me here. <laughs> yes, it's uh, really interesting. Uh, we started to do doing this series uh, where we give um, a spot to our venture associates, and you've joined us a couple of uh, months ago now. You have gone through the entire uh, cycle uh, on from working on mapping uh, ecosystem and and specifically more ecosystem and startups in uh, neuroscience to actually um, pitching uh, your first uh, deal in an investment committee and also uh, getting that deal actually signed. So um, congratulations to you first. <laughs> <laughs> and um, looking forward to... to get to know you a little bit more and understand where you're coming from. So can you tell us a little bit more about your background, academic background, and also what you have done uh, professionally up until so far? Certainly. So yeah, I am uh, based in London and I'm finishing my PhD in uh, neuroscience and regenerative medicine at King's College London. Um, so I'm using stem cell models and bioengineering to study uh, neurodegenerative diseases as a part of my research. And I chose this field because of uh, my passion for life sciences. And at the same time, um, I wish to use biotechnology to help patients uh, in need of better therapies and better healthcare. Um, so, um, like I said, I'm following my passion in neuroscience, so I have been doing multiple things related to it. Um, and, uh, I want to contribute to advancing what we understand about neuroscience and neurological diseases. And like I said, that's why I decided to do PhD research. Um, secondly, I want to raise awareness about neuroscience, research and technology to people that don't have necessarily an advanced science background. Um, so I'm doing different things like science communication. I have joined as a committee member um, of a student-led uh, newsletter that invites neuroscience PhD students to tell us what they do in the simplest words. Um, and of course, an exciting thing I'm currently doing is being a venture associate at Next Sequence. 
Um, I am a neuroscientist by training, and I have seen a lot of uh, promising uh, laboratory-based work. So it is always exciting to um, see founders trying to push the boundary and take their technology into the industry, um, trying to make a real impact for um, people in need. Um, and my experience here at Next Sequence um, not only gives me a chance to understand the innovation activities of the field, but it also um, allows me to uh, make a direct impact on helping promising founders and their technologies um, that should receive more support. Yeah, <laughs> that's a very impressive background. Uh, I remember actually the first time uh, that I received your profile, you actually reached out to us and it was actually quite uh, taken uh, for you because I was like really uh, passionate about the subject of research. And so can you tell us a little bit more about uh, your PhD right now, uh, the very focus of what you're doing during your PhD? Yes, of course. Um, so, as I said, it's uh, my PhD is in neuroscience and uh, regenerative medicine or advanced therapies. Uh, more specifically, I am trying to uh, look into the neuroinflammation aspect of um, ALS, which is a severe motor neuron disease. And uh, the tools I'm using to uh, achieve that um, include bioengineering, uh, synthetic biology, and stem cells. So I'm basically using patient um, stem cells that um, to make, I use the cells to make uh, neurons and other brain cells, put them together and make a model of the disease in the lab. And then uh, subsequently use these for um, mechanistic studies of the disease and eventually drug screening uh, approaches. What has been your uh, view on the ecosystem uh, through the work that you have done at NextSequence in terms of ecosystem mapping uh, in the science industry so far? Okay, so um, yeah, my role at NextSequence, um, I can say it has been quite uh, diverse. Uh, so I started from mapping the neuroscience and neurotech uh, landscape, um, catching up with the latest technologies um, to making connections with uh, promising founders that we could potentially be working with. And um, all of these uh, helped me understand better what people are focusing on right now and what may come next in the field. Um, and uh, outside of uh, next sequence, my PhD has also given me a very broad exposure and deep insight into the newest technologies. So especially related to disease and drug development, um, I got to understand how science actually works, um, where it needs uh, improvements, and also where the, the key leaders uh, are working um, in those uh, areas. Um, so yeah, through my VC work, PhD, university, um, and science communication role, um, I'm also building my network of scientists and people that share a similar passion about neuroscience and neurotechnology. And I often get new insight and leads from them 
about exciting innovation happening all over the world. Yeah, part of these um, uh, innovation include uh, notably neuromorphic actually computing. And so could you give us like kind of a simple uh, uh, explanation of what is neuromorphic computing and why it's so important? Okay, so um, neuromorphic computing um, is basically a type of computing that emulates um, the structure and function of the human brain. And it involves designing uh, computer chips that operate more like uh, brain cells uh, rather than traditional digital computers. And um, I think this approach allows for more efficient uh, processing of uh, complex and unstructured information. And it can mimic essentially the brain's ability to adapt and learn. Um, and my view is that um, neuromorphic computing holds uh, great potential for advancements in um, AI, uh, particularly in areas requiring um, rapid data processing and pattern recognition, like um, visual and sensory processing. Uh, in terms of trends, uh, there has been uh, major research uh, uh, over the last couple of years, and we have seen an acceleration uh, on the topic of neuromorphic computing. And so who has been uh, the key manufacturer and companies investing and developing uh, neuromorphic computing uh, so far? Um, so there are dozens of startups that are leading the research and application of neuromorphic computing um, for hardware development. Um, Intel, IBM and Samsung are the leaders together with some startups. And there are also a lot of um, developments um, we see in academia uh, and public uh, organizations. Uh, such as the European Human Brain Project, uh, which has produced new hardware, software, uh, and and research output. Yeah, definitely. I mean, the European Human Brain Project has been, I think, one of the biggest public uh, project initiatives run over the last couple of years, uh, trying to emulate and create simulation uh, of the human brain. It's a massive project with a, a very high ambition, and it's definitely an interesting one, actually, to look at. Um, in terms of neuromorphic computing, I think it would be interesting for our audience to get a sense of what are right now the pros and cons of um, uh, the technology in itself. So I think um, on the plus side, neuromorphic computing is um, highly energy efficient. It can basically excel at real-time um, data processing and is capable of uh, also parallel processing which makes it um, ideal for uh, complex AI tasks. And it also has the ability to learn and adapt from new data, uh, which can be a game changer. Um, however, we have to admit there are some uh, drawbacks, um, which include, I think, the 
complexity and developmental challenges of these systems. Um, our limited understanding of the brain's functions um, to fully replicate them. Um, and definitely the need for uh, specialized um, hardware. There are also scalability issues. Um, and I think some uncertainty around um, commercial viability. Um, so yeah, I think this, these factors um, make neuromorphic computing definitely very exciting and promising, but uh, it's still um, quite challenging. Yeah, it's definitely actually uh, a challenge. Uh, I think one of the specificity for neuromorphic computing for startups actually um, venturing into this uh, trend is the hardware-related challenge, the ability to actually build up hardware and uh, scale up uh, the production capabilities to be able to sustain uh, the uh, deliveries of that hardware. So I think in a way, uh, the, the business model for these startups is actually uh, entirely different. And we definitely see, um, uh, despite the rise in uh, more and more uh, startups positioning themselves on neuromorphic computing, we still, still, still see uh, a long way ahead before we can potentially talk and, uh, and see uh, the real life application in our day-to-day -day lives. Uh, when it comes to neuroscience, of course, neuromorphic uh, computing is uh, one of the many areas where uh, we've seen uh, major advances, but the neuroscience industry can be split into uh, further more categories. Uh, we have everything related to the pure biotech angle, whether it is specialized or not specialized, and on the other side, we have everything related to the medtech and uh, digital health uh, aspect of uh, neuroscience. So maybe we could dive uh, a little bit more on uh, these two big categories and try to get a sense of uh, what is being developed. And so I was actually very curious about uh, your perspective on first the first category, which is uh, the major trends uh, when it comes to neuro slash biotech. Sure. So. Um... Currently, neurotech and brain tech are two uh, broad terms describing technologies related to neuroscience. Um, I can define neuroscience technologies as uh, those aimed at um, improving care for people living with a neurological disease and delivering scalable uh, solutions that benefit neuroscience and neurology practitioners. Um, I'm, di I'm, I'm dividing uh, neuroscience technology uh, companies um, into uh, biotech and medtech plus uh, digital health. Um, so uh, if we talk about biotech, uh, most companies are targeting the largest disease markets, uh, including Alzheimer's disease, Parkinson's, uh, ALS, um, uh, and autoimmune disorders like multiple sclerosis. Um, although um, autoimmune diseases have high unmet needs, 
many biotech companies are currently uh, focusing on um, diseases like ALS and frontotemporal dementia because they are uh, actually more straightforward to treat. Um, and most drug development efforts are now carried out by smaller startups, except for uh, some bigger companies, including uh, UCB and Biogen, um, that are still uh, big players in the in the field. Um, so if we talk about startups, I uh, have observed two types. Uh, one type that is specialized in neuroscience and uh, the types that are focused on their um, generic uh, platforms, but also include uh, neurological diseases as one of their targets, basically. Um, if we focus more on the specialized startups, um, uh, most of these were actually founded in the past three uh, to five years. Um, and there are companies that uh, develop uh, one or two drug modalities for a narrow disease or biology area, mm -hmm. um, including uh, Aviado Bio, Curalis, all working on um, ALS or FTD. Um, there is a growing number of startups using um, AI as their main technology for uh, discovery, uh, like Modulo Bio or, or Muna Therapeutics. Um, I believe we will see more of these companies uh, soon. And um, in my opinion, the most promising area is uh, precision neuroscience, uh, which basically makes use of um, massive data and AI to improve um, diagnostics, uh, prevention and stratification, um, in addition to drug discovery. Um, I can bring some examples um, like uh, Verge Genomics, um, they have collected massive biological data sets to find ways to slow down neurodegeneration. Uh, there is another uh, one, uh, Numora, uh, sorry, which uh, uses patient uh, genomic and imaging data to find or develop the best medicines. Um, Yes, and there are also several uh, unspecialized platform startups that use AI and automation to screen for new types of drugs that are applied to uh, neurological diseases. Um, so yeah, to, to summarize for you, like overall, uh, my perspective um, for neuroscience, biotech, I believe that there are more and more data-driven and AI-powered uh, drug discovery and precision neuroscience companies uh, coming up, and I think I think they seem quite promising. Um, there seem to be fewer focusing on the bigger markets of more complex diseases yet, like uh, autoimmune and Alzheimer's. But I predict there will be more of these startups uh, targeting these diseases. Um, I think it's definitely a good space to, to watch. Um, and then many platform companies are developing new drug modalities. I hope we will see more specialized um, neuroscience companies doing these as well. Um, 
And I think we should focus on searching for, uh, have uh, keep an eye on AI companies that focus on new drug modalities, um, precision um, prevention or patient stratification technologies and on target indications that are not uh, oversaturating. Yeah. What has been uh, for you the reason that would explain that uh, so few companies have been focusing on autoimmune diseases? That's a very good question. I'm actually not an expert, um, but I can I can try to give you um, my view of this. So I think um, the the relatively small number of companies focusing on um, autoimmune diseases um, can be attributed to um, some challenges like autoimmune diseases are inherently very complex. Um, I think there are over 80 different types. Um, each one requires specific understanding and very targeted treatments. Um, and naturally, this complexity makes drug development particularly challenging and, of course, costly, um, often involving long-term studies, uh, very high investment, um, uncertainty in returns. Um, another uh, point, I think, is the uh, variability in um, disease presentation. Um, this adds basically to the di difficulty in creating um, universally effective treatments. And that's why there are also uh, regulatory dif difficulties. Um, regulations are more strict due to the complexity of these diseases. And um, the market for some autoimmune diseases, especially uh, rarer ones, is relatively small, um, which potentially affects profitability. Um, and another point, um, many autoimmune conditions um, require uh, long-term management um, rather than one-time um, cure, like one cure. And this complicates um, things like commercialization efforts or standardization. Um, but yeah, um, despite all the all the challenges, um, I'm, I'm hopeful that we will see um, uh, more interest in this area, especially with all the ad current advances in immunology and biotechnology. Yeah, it totally makes sense. Uh, I totally uh, understand. And it's true that I think one of the difficulties uh, is true for um, uh, all startups uh, with whom which we are working right now, but it's even more so true when uh, they are targeting targeting diseases and specifically uh, um, neuroscience uh, uh, diseases. I think there is this notion of uh, profitability that needs to be taken into consideration. And so far right now, we don't necessarily have a clear path towards being able to uh, spend and invest uh, to be able to inject the 
amount of research that is required to be able to tackle uh, these kind of diseases studies, and at the same time build a path where the product uh, sell on the market is going to compensate for this investment. I think that one of the uh, potential that I see in the usage of AI and machine learning in general is to be able to bring that kind of affordability uh, and, um, and pass towards profitability by having a, a different setup where startups don't have to have uh, such big teams. They don't have for, to research for so long because the pattern recognition, the data analysis uh, empowered through these technologies allow us to uh, get faster insight, better insight, and therefore uh, put us closer to building the right product uh, and then pushing it to the market. We were talking about the uh, different categories and, and uh, for sure uh, the biotech startups that we just discussed in, in neuroscience are actually uh, massively interested. But um, we were also mentioning that as part of the different categories in, in neuroscience right now, we have these uh, biotech startup, but we also have uh, the more medtech digital ads related startup. And so maybe you could tell us a little bit more about uh, what that looks like, what are the uh, trends and type of startup that you're seeing coming your way? Okay, so... Um... I can say neuroscience um, can be divided. Um, uh, the companies in neuroscience can be divided into biotech and medtech and digital health. So apart from biotech, there are about five areas where neuroscience is used to develop medtech and digital health technologies. Um, the first is obviously B2B uh, applications that mainly analyze facial expressions or neurological signals to better understand customer response. Um, and the second is um, monitoring and assessment applications, um, mainly used for uh, diagnostics and prevention purposes. Um, this includes uh, early detection of uh, neurodegenerative diseases like Alzheimer's and uh, spotting um, uh, potential concussions when young people at school um, are playing uh, sports, for example. Um, the third area is um, brain-computer interface, PCI, um, which is uh, something that, that's recently getting more uh, traction, uh, especially with uh, Neuralink's uh, another round of um, um, big funding and the approval of uh, their first uh, in uh, inhuman clinical trial. Um, so these companies uh, focus on collecting data of uh, brain activities and turning them into um, inter interpretable signals. Um, in terms of uh, customer attractiveness, um, I believe um, for now non-invasive BCI technologies have advantage. Um, their ease of use also gives them a more generic um, use cases. Um, and um, as an example, uh, startups that develop these include uh, Neurable and CoMind. 
Um, the last two areas um, are both related to treatments and interventions, but they don't fall into biotech, um, at least in my opinion. So the first group, uh, I would say, consists of startups that aim at uh, augmenting mental and physical health, like um, using wearables to modulate brain activities, um, to improve relaxation, focus, um, learning efficiency, mood regulation, speech, mm -hmm. um, many uh, of these examples. Um, the second group of uh, treatments and um, interventions are applied to neurological diseases as therapies. Um, I can bring as an example um, electrical stimulation for spinal cord injury or uh, chronic pain relief, um, and improved um, feedback of prosthetic uh, bionic limbs, for example. Yeah, and um, yeah, overall, I think um, it's definitely worth focusing on, keep an eye on startups developing technologies that uh, scale with data and new AI models. Um, BCI in particular is an exciting technology that has the potential to disrupt uh, other areas like um, disease detection, um, diagnostics, and personalized treatments. Um, yeah, and it's definitely interesting to see um, more creative use cases of um, generative AI in all areas of uh, neurotechnology. That's uh, that's amazing because it's allowing me it's allowing me to kind of uh, wrap up with you. Uh, what is your vision of the, uh, of the future? Because uh, you're going to be soon uh, finishing your a PhD uh, and uh, then uh, making a decision on uh, what to work next. And so, what really excites you when you think about the future? Mm, so. Um... I would say science itself is changing very quickly. So I am actually very open to what I can potentially do. Um, but one thing that doesn't change um, for me is that I want to make a real impact on science, especially in the field of neuroscience. And I definitely want to continue building my own knowledge about biotech and pharma companies so I can offer more help uh, to people that want to build something meaningful. Um, and I also hope I, I hope that I will continue um, bringing the newest science developments to people um maybe through science communication um so they can understand and be knowledgeable about exciting work and new hopes for patients that need new therapies and uh finally i definitely see myself engaging with uh, young scientists and entrepreneurs of the future especially women and minority groups in stem uh, so we can have a more equal future of healthcare and science. Yeah, definitely. I think um, 
we don't really think about it, but I think uh, it applies also in neuroscience where uh, there is this notion of uh, bias behind the data that are being uh, taken right now, our understanding of the brain. Do we actually take into consideration uh, gender? Uh, do you do we take into consideration other criteria? And it's definitely interesting to see uh, how we're going to make sure that uh, whatever research and studies are being conducted right now is actually more and more inclusive, and that require uh, representation. It requires to have, uh, of course, uh, young female scientists involved in the field and pushing uh, the envelope when it comes to. Uh, developing the new technologies uh, of the future in, in neuroscience. So, Sophia, thank you so much. It was actually very interesting to hear your view on, on the industry, the different trends uh, and categories from neuromorphic computing to biotech and medtech uh, in general. We're definitely looking forward to the work that you're doing at the firm and um, looking forward to speaking uh, to you in the future about some of the deals that you would have made at the firm. Thank you, Sophia. Thank you so much, Loretta. Bye. Thanks for listening to the Next Sequence Podcast. If you enjoyed this episode and you'd like to help support the podcast, please share it with others, post about it on social media, or leave a rating and review. To catch all the letters from us, you can follow us on LinkedIn, Twitter, and Instagram. Thanks again, and I'll see you next time.